Welcome to State of America Chats. All right, everybody, welcome back to another edition of State of America Chats. I am one of your hosts, uh, Ian Rice, and with me, as always, is my good buddy, David Hudson. David, how you doing, sir? I am well, Ian. How about yourself? Oh, you know, same old, same old. This episode, we're going to be covering the Rolling Stones, a band that we've uh, certainly touched on in the past and I'm sure we'll revisit uh, on future episodes because they're such a long-running and multifaceted band. Obviously, our main band, the Black Crows, they take a lot of influence from the Rolling Stones and have done quite a few Rolling Stones covers. So it's uh, you know it's only natural we have a little chat about this, but this is in honor of my father's birthday, uh, which is July nineteenth, and uh, this year my father will be turning seventy-two, and uh, I thought as a nice little uh, present of sorts to him, we'd have a little chat about the Rolling Stones because that is his favorite band, and uh, he got me into them early and set me down a a good path, a good band to be into early on. Really set this set the stage for my appreciation of music, and uh, so he'll be seventy-two and. Uh, 72 is an appropriate place to kind of jump in with the Stones, because uh, for me and you, David, probably one of our favorite Stones records came out that year, Exile on Main Street. I know that's a big one for you, right? It is. It is. A lot A lot of that has to do with the Crows. Playing Torn and Frayed really got me into it. Every band has their their moment where everything kind of comes together and just congeals properly, and 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 all of their best elements shine and, and blend together into one big statement. And that's Exile on Main Street for the Stones, so much like Southern Harmony is for the Black Crows or or what have you. You know, it's uh, it's just such a great record. The difference is the Crows actually like Southern Harmony. The Stones seem to poo poo on Exile on Main Street whenever they can. See, I think that's more Mick, really. And, uh, you know, one of Mick's points, which is a, is a fair point, a lot of those songs are a little bit harder to pull off in a live setting, especially in the setting, you know, the stadium arena setting that, that they've settled into in their later years, you know? I hate stadium shows for any band. It's one of the reasons I've not been to see the Stones, is I can't, you know, I, when presented with, a, a, you know, an arena or a stadium tour i just kind of i'd rather go to something a little more intimate you know i saw them in an arena what year was that 
It was on that no security tour, 98, 90, it was 99. And I'd saw him like a year earlier in a football stadium for uh, the Bridges to Babylon. That's cool. Yeah. I, I mean, I do regret not uh, seeing them. You know, my father saw them. Yeah, I think it was like 66 at this uh, tennis stadium here in, uh, on, not, not on Long Island, but in one of the boroughs, Queens, Forest Hills Tennis Stadium. You know, you see, so my father saw the original Stones with Brian Jones. I mean, that's kind of a feather in your cap, you know? It's odd that somebody would play in a tennis stadium because you feel like that would damage the grass. Yeah, it is odd. But, you know, from what I understand, like those early days of rock concerts were a little, you know, it's not like they are now where it's like a a machine, you know. Like I remember he said they played like Satisfaction twice. You know, a lot of times they would do that in those, not just the Stones, but a lot of rock bands early on would play the hits like more than once because, you know, that was – what people were coming to hear in a lot of cases, you know, that's terrible. It is. I mean, but you know, in terms of, you know, rock touring, uh, you know, the stones have really set the stage or set the, set a precedent for a lot of stuff. Like their, their 69 tour was like, kind of like what the blueprint was for what rock tours would be following that almost up to the present day. Like the, 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 the setup and the, you know, the, uh, the logistics of it and that kind of thing, you know, the decadence yeah not even that just just the pure like uh you know uh mechanics of it you know like the way i think that was like the first time a band really used like the the pa monitor system you know that that still is used to this day yeah because before that it was just kind of turn the amps up as loud as possible and you know to 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 get across to the whole venue you know right and very few people were i mean i guess the beatles played shea stadium but very few people, bands were playing anything remotely bigger than a theater. Yeah, and I mean, you know, they they hit places like Madison Square Garden on that tour. I mean, that that tour is documented on "Get Your Yayas Out," which I think is one of the finest live records ever to be put out. It doesn't get mentioned as much as some of the other, you know, uh, classic live records, but it, I really think it is. I mean, do you do you like that one? I never heard you really talk about their live stuff. I honestly haven't listened to it all that much. I know that people think it's you know. A lot of people really like that album. I just never have, like, honestly listened to it that much. They put out a really nice anniversary set a few years back, like a box that had not only, you know, additional material from the tour, but I think also, if I'm remembering correctly, included stuff from the varying opening acts they had, because they had, like, Ike and Tina Turner out in there and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, and the the documentary film, which also was kind of a ahead of its time, uh, called Gimme Shelter, kind of documents that time period and a lot of footage from that tour is included in that. That's a great documentary. It is. You can actually see them shooting the, the album cover for get your yayas out. Cause the album covers, you know, it's, it's like Charlie Watts kind of skipping along with like a, I think a guitar in his hand and things, you know, and then you could see that in that documentary. I really wish they would do a documentary like uh, Tom Petty's running down a dream. Yes. That would be fantastic. Like four hours long, start at the beginning, just hit it all. They had a really great documentary. It was called 25 by 5, and it was released for their 25th anniversary, which I believe was 1989, 1990, around the time of Steel Wheels. And that was kind of the first ever you know, rock band documentary kind of thing I ever watched, and it always kind of stuck with me. It's really well done. You know, unfortunately, watching it now is an additional 30 years you know, that that's left out, but it really covers their, their early days 
you know, quite nicely. Are you are you a fan of the 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 you know the Brian Jones the early stuff? You know, because I'm I'm more partial to the the Mick Taylor era. That's like my uh, my. There, my there's go-to. certain songs that you know I like. I love uh, "It's All Over Now," uh, "Mother's Little Helper," "Ruby Tuesday." I like you know. There's a de- "Let's Spend the Night Together." There's a decent amount of those songs I like, but for me though, that '68 '75 era is one of the best runs if not the best run in the history of rock music yeah so prolific i mean you know they kind of uh by the time that that band got to the uh it's only rock and roll record you know it, it, it things had spun out a little bit you know um it was kind of winding down but that you know the uh the let it bleed and sticky fingers and exile and then you know coat's head soup too which is very underrated as a Stones record, but is a, is a great record. I know you're a big fan of Goat's Head Soup. It's what it's a top, probably a top three Stones album for me. very excited when they did that reissue yes i was and it sounds great and uh the little bonuses that came with it are really really good yeah they've done a good job with those reissues like the exile one the some girls one sticky fingers if you could pick another one for them to do what would it be i'm gonna go out on a limb here and i'd say i'd like to see them do something interesting with the uh black and blue record i need to say that i feel that record's kind of ignored and there is some great material on that you know there's some some cool songs and i kind of got into that record because rich robinson on his 2004 you know tour in support of the paper album he broke out a cover of uh, hand of fate i was like well, that's a really great tune i'm not was not familiar with it i knew it as a stone's tune but i didn't you know so i went and bought the album but that album has memory motel on it which is is a great great tune and just just there's a there's a lot of uh, crazy mama there's some great material in there have you heard the ver- version of Memory Motel off the No Security live disc with Dave Matthews? Yeah, and for a guy like myself that doesn't, you know, isn't isn't like oh, that over the moon about Dave Matthews, I think he does a really good job on that. That was actually, uh, I don't know if it was released as a single, but it was played on the radio when that when that record came out a lot. I really like that record because it's a lot of songs that don't appear on other live albums. And some of them are quite rare to even hear like memory motel. That may have been one of the first times they've ever played that song. Yeah. It's, it's interesting with them because they've been around for so long and, uh, you know, I often see or hear people bitch about, Oh, they only play, you know, all these hits and they don't get too obscure. But I would think that at this point in the game for them, 
they have such a varied audience that they have to really touch on you know they have to do hits because they have casual people that they from the radio they they do some of one or two obscure ones for the the longtime fans but they also have they have this catalog i mean think about how many classic well-known songs they have it's unbelievable probably have more songs that they could play in a show that everybody in the show knows than just about anybody. The only person I think could come close would be Tom Petty. Yeah, it's 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 crazy the amount of stuff that they have. I mean, they're they're right up there with Led Zeppelin, unfortunately, at least in the New York area, where FM radio has killed a lot of their songs for me. Like I I could probably, as fantastic as a tune as it is, I could probably never hear "Sympathy for the Devil" again and be okay. Satisfaction, start yeah. me up. I mean, it's easy for it to, to happen. I mean, like, Stairway to Heaven's a great song, but I don't ever want to hear it again. And, you know, I got news for you, uh, just as a side note on that. It's far from the best Led Zeppelin song there ever was. What is your favorite Led Zeppelin song? It's a good question. Probably When the Levy Breaks. Probably one of the most iconic drum beats ever. Yeah. Yeah, I would agree. But, uh, well, you mentioned uh, Start Me Up in there, though, which is a song that gets you know played to hell and i think they've opened pretty much every show with that you know for the last 20 years or so but a lot of people cite that album that it comes from tattoo you as you know arguably the last great stones record do do you kind of subscribe to that or yeah i would say that like i really liked honestly i know people are gonna shoot me i liked a lot of the stuff on steel wheels i think it was just it has that 80s sound to it but yeah tattoo you is that the greatest compilation album of all time? I guess it technically is. I mean, it's one of those ones where they, it's some older material and they kind of went back and touched it up a bit, which they've been known to do after that too. I think a lot of the uh, extra tracks on the Exile re-release were touched up. You know, it's. I think those are modern day Mick vocals on those. Let me ask you those. this. Are you surprised that Start Me Up gets played in stadiums and on the radio and it's got that kind of, very questionable line at the end. That's a, cl- a that's a classic case of people like that song came on the radio and I sang it in front of my wife one time. She goes, "What'd you just say?" <laughs> and you don't realize it. I mean, but you could say that about a couple of their tunes, really, because like Brown Sugar, the lyrics are kind of questionable on that. Really, I don't know. See, I've always been one of those guys. I, I'm just so focused on like the actual musical part of it. I, sometimes I, the lyrics go right by me. You know, I tell you a song off Tattoo You that's a sleeper, Slave. That is a good tune, and I, another, there's another one I'm gonna th- I'm gonna throw out there to you is uh, Tops. Oh, Tops is great. Every man is the same. Come on, I'll make you a star. Take your million miles from all this But you want a better start Come on Come on Have you ever heard those opening lines You should leave this small town way behind I'll be your partner Show you a step With me behind your taste of the sweet wine of success. Cause I, I 
the Ridiculous Rock Record Review podcast, they did a whole series on Stone's album. So if you want to go look it up. Anyway, our, our buddy, friend of the podcast, Ray Permy, was on it. And they did Tattoo You. And it was such a good such a good episode. So if people want to go out there and listen to it, they break it down like we do. But uh, yeah, that, that, Tattoo You, I think, was a great. I think that's the tour where they just took the spectacle to new heights, right? Yeah, that was the 81 tour where they they kind of did like uh stadiums i think they, and i think uh, you know once again with that theme i think they were the first band to really do big stadium tours at least you know where it was a spectacle it was a visual as well as a musical thing i remember mick jagger saying that uh you know he, he because they knew they were playing in places that weren't the best for seeing and the best for hearing they they felt the need to to up the ante a little bit and like make it you know, so that you know, people in the back were enjoying themselves as just as much as the people in the front. There was a concert video, I think, from that tour, and I was like five or six, and it was the very, very early days of HBO, and HBO would play it all the time. It's one where Jagger's wearing like spandex and like may have like knee pads on or something like that. Yeah, for that '81 tour, he kind of wore like a football, American football type jersey, and you know, spandex pants with it. He kind of like you know, like. Like he was in an impromptu football game just before he got on the uh, stage, but uh, yeah, I think that film was called "Let's Spend the Night Together." Actually. That's right. Yeah, had the, is, is, is that the, is that good, the one where he had the large phallic symbol on stage? I think that was because that was for the song "Star Star," where he would ride around on that thing. Mm-hmm. So it was probably around seventy-five tour for that. Oh, okay. There's another film. I think that I think that film is called "Ladies and Gentlemen, The Rolling Stones," which yeah. recently got reissued on yeah, DVD. It did. It did. They really know how to pluck from their vaults and, and put stuff out because in the last like 10 15 years or so they've been doing you know these special releases like from their vaults and they really put out some cool stuff yeah i like that um the steel wheels tour album that just came out it's got the uh you know them playing i think salt of the earth for only the second time and it's with axel and izzy yeah that was on tv i remember that at the time yeah and uh yeah that's i mean they always for as much as people rag on them for kind of being like, oh, here they come again, they're back out on tour doing the same old thing. Like they, I feel that they do enough to keep it interesting. Well, they have great openers. They're always, you know, not only do they have these great openers, they're always having people come out and play with them, kind of like the, the, the Crows. That's true. Uh, you know, and you know, they do things, I think it was the 15 or 16 tour, maybe even more recent than that. But, you know, they, they incorporated Mick Taylor into a portion of the show, you know, kind of. He would come out and play a few tunes. The jams that he did on Midnight Rambler, otherworldly. Yeah, I mean, it was it's cool.
obviously Ronnie Wood took over from Mick Taylor. It's cool to see them share the stage, but my father always says, like, you know, people still refer to Ron Wood as the new guy in the Rolling Stones, and he's been with them since 75. You know, that's yeah. how. Longer than I've been weird? alive, yeah. yeah. Isn't that weird? He'll always be, like, the new guy, you know? Well, I think he was only officially made a member in, like, the late 80s or early 90s to get in on the business side of things. Oh, like like mm-hmm. full bore, like everything, yeah. Mm-hmm. Do you think, though, because I'm a big fan of Ronnie Wood, in the faces, and I thought, you know, obviously that's the style is is quite different than what he does in the Stones. Do you think he's a little a bit more muted in the Stones? I'll be honest with you, like when I see him live, he never looks like he's just really playing. It always just looks like he'll play a part or two and then kind of dance around. And like the only solo I can really remember him doing, he takes the solo and start me up, and then like whenever they play, you got the silver. You know, he plays the the pedal steel, but everything else to me it looks like he's just kind of playing here here or there but i mean i i I don't really know but that's the way it appears to me i just there's no like you can point to things like that mick taylor did you're like oh this is unbelievable like can't you hear me knocking like his guitar stuff on the on the uh the back end more latin sounding part of that song unbelievable and you can point to all kinds of things that mick taylor does but there's not i can't like nothing really comes to mind it's like oh do you just do you hear what ronnie wood did on this one you know like he's just kind of part of the overall sound and he's essential to it but it nothing really stands out whereas i can give you tons of examples from the faces of where he's real really smoking it up you know right but you know i think he was a good fit for the band obviously i mean he's been with them ever since well i mean it made sense i mean he had the right hair <laughs> yeah him and him and keith kind of started a hairstyle yeah that be, became synonymous with rock you know right i think i think nikki six is the only one that's still carrying it off you know I, I, you know, I always, I just, some of that later era Stone stuff just doesn't, I mean, do you find anything from their 80s output, you know, uh, leaving Steel Wheels aside, because that's more towards the tail end, but anything after Tattoo You up until Steel Wheels, do you find any anything probably, you enjoy? Probably couldn't name you five songs off like, what is it, uh, Body Work? I don't even know the names of the albums. Dirty uh, Work. Dirty Work. Like, I couldn't name five songs off those albums. The one single... Which is 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 notable for the music video having a almost an actual fight between Mick and Keith in it because there was a lot of tension, I guess, while they were making it. Um, that song isn't bad. It's kind of marred by that '80s overproduction thing, but uh, that's one hit to the body. That's actually a very decent song if you go back and listen to it. That's, but the, the rest that's of that, one, that's one of the songs I know. But I mean, the rest of that record kind of falls flat. Not much off of uh, Emotional Rescue did a great deal for me. Uh, I do not like the song Emotional Rescue. Speaking of Emotional Rescue, you want to talk like people say, you know, like Miss You and a, and a few things off of some girls kind of ventures into that disco territory. Emotional Rescue is a disco song as far as I'm concerned. Careful now. There's some people I know that listen to this really like that. Emotional Rescue? Mm-hmm. Who likes Emotional Rescue? I got to have a word with them. Uh, I'll keep that. I'll keep that to us. <laughs> Actually, Emotional Rescue does have She's So Cold on it, which is actually... Uh, a kind of a cool song. I didn't realize that was on that record. That was kind of that time frame. I don't think they really knew what to do with the with like disco and all that stuff going on. Yeah, I mean, I think disco threw a lot of rock bands for a loop because if you think about it at that time, a lot of rock bands really incorporated disco stuff in some way. Kiss did it, you know, like a lot of these big rock bands. I mean, they must have had they must have been scared of disco at that point. 
I guess it came in, you know, like kind of like grunge did, but grunge made it longer and grunge is still relevant and disco is not at all. I mean, but the, the one album from that eighties era that I have virtually no connection with is undercover. Yeah. I don't think there's one song on there that I, I really connect with in any way. Yeah. Was it, they have a song on there called undercover of the night or something like that. Yeah. I think that was the main single. Yeah. It's just not, it doesn't do anything for me. They were in the wilderness. They kind of pulled it back. I think, uh, in the nineties a bit, I, I think some of their nineties stuff is underrated. Voodoo lounge is really good. Voodoo Lounge has some great material on it. It's it's highly underrated. He gets some classic Mick Harp on there, you know, on um, Love is Strong. There's a great Keith song on Voodoo Lounge called Through and Through. Thanks to the Sopranos. Yeah, that kind of brought that a little bit more to the forefront. But, mm-hmm. you know, I remember when I bought that record in 94, I thought there was some cool stuff on there. And there's, there's songs on Bridges to Babylon. Like some of the stuff they released as singles like uh, Saint of Me and things like that were a little bit you know, mix trying to be more contemporary kind of thing. But there's a song on there called Lowdown that is one of Keith's coolest Keith like riffs and I I've always loved that song. There's a few good songs on Bridges to Babylon, and then I guess the next one would have been what Bigger Bang. Yeah, I mean that that was their, and I think that's their last like full length album of original material, if I'm not mistaken. But th- that album is way too long. It's too long. It could have been tightened up. I don't. They kind of settled into like otherwise, like they would put out a couple of tunes here and there, like a new greatest hits package would come out, and they throw new tunes on it. And I think a, a lot of their coolest stuff came out then. Like they had a song on that. 40 Licks, which came out in like 0102. And uh, there's a song called Don't Stop. I was I just about was, to bring that up. Yeah. That's one of their one of their best later day tunes. For sure it is. Uh, I was really surprised when that one that came out. But has anybody put out more greatest hits albums than The Stones? No. It's weird to me why they do that. Because, you know, they've. Obviously, they maybe, sell. They do sell. But once you have one, why would you need another one? Unless they put new material on it which is kind of what they do because i mean like they have one of the most popular greatest hits albums which was hot rocks you know that's kind of where i learned to like the stones yeah i mean so much so that they came out a few years you know after that with more hot rocks yeah you know which 
which also has some cool stuff on it. So they, but then they put out that. I always feel stupid saying the name of this record, Gur. You know, right? Uh, one with the with the uh, gorilla on the cover. But they that had a couple of that had two really cool songs on it, uh, Doom and Gloom, and I really liked One More Shot off of that, which I thought was really cool. So you know, they 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 could still write great tunes. That song they did individually during the pandemic, living in a ghost town. How good was that? Had a man that had a serious groove to it. Yeah, I was so pleasantly surprised by that. How good a song that was. You know, I'd put that up as one of their best second half of the career tunes. You know, best one of the best post tattoo you songs out there. That's one I would definitely love to hear them play live. Yeah, I wonder when they get if they get back on the road if they're gonna bust that out. They should. I definitely should. It's funny with some of those songs though, they kind of they do them at the time that that package is out and then they kind of abandon them after that, you know. I mean, well, they've kept one or two of the Steel Wheels songs would pop up every now and then every now and then a couple will pop up off of voodoo lounge but other than that that's it yeah i mean but you know like like we had touched on before they just have such an immense catalog to draw from it's probably hard to you probably even even if you went straight hits you'd still have to make some difficult cuts you know what i mean what i mean per that documentary chuck lavelle's the one that makes the set list that's right the tree man documentary Mm -hmm. he'd be a great guest he would be but uh, yeah, that's right. He does make up the set list, and then Ronnie Wood kind of draws them out, I think, too, because he sells them as art pieces, I think, after the fact. But let me touch on their solo material. Where where do you stand on their solo material? I know almost none of it. I'm a big fan of uh, Keith's solo material because it's the closest to the Stones sound for me. Um, you know, he's got especially his first record, "Talk Is Cheap," and then there was a live album that recently got re-released live at the Hollywood Palladium that was on that tour for that. You know, he had some great guys in the band, you know, Steve Jordan, who he's worked with for years. It's Mick Jagger's solo stuff is a little more spotty for me, you know? He's got one album Joe Satriani plays on. Is that right? Mm-hmm. One of those. Yeah, I can't, I mean, I, I know, I don't know if, I don't think I can name a solo song by either one of them. Mick had, you know, the, the his initial solo stuff I could kind of do without, but he had, um, Two solo records, uh, one in 93 called Wandering Spirit, which was produced by Rick Rubin, and one in 2001 where he just had a ton of guests on it called Goddess in the Doorway, which I, I liked a lot of stuff off that. And there was a documentary associated with that like that showed a lot of the making of that. That was called Being Mick. It's a really cool documentary if you could seek that out if, for those who haven't seen it. Very interesting. But I kind of like those two albums. I think he did some cool stuff. Like on that Goddess in the Doorway, there was um, – the song called God Gave Me Everything, which is pretty much him and Lenny Kravitz. I've heard that. Yeah, that. yeah, I've heard that now that you said that. That's not bad. And on The Wandering Spirit, he did a cover of uh, Use Me Till You Use Me Up, that old soul tune, you know. Very faithful cover of that. And uh, those were both two actually very good records. But other than that, I, I couldn't get too much into his solo stuff. No, they're better together than they are apart. Yeah. Ronnie Wood's solo stuff is kind of cool, too. You know, a lot, some of his solo stuff, obviously predates his time in the stones but uh you know he had he had a couple albums that unfortunately kind of went ignored but uh you know, he had one called uh, slide on this that came out like in 92 that was really good but you know i don't think it sold very well you just know everything ian i had no idea about that are you being sarcastic damn no i'm like you're just a wealth yeah. of musical knowledge yeah because uh that's what i do <laughs> that's what i bring to the table <laughs> So, I mean, if we had to run it down, what's your top five Stones albums? 
Exile, Sticky Fingers, Goat's Head Soup. I'm going to get killed for leaving Let It Bleed Out, but it's close. Some Girls and Tattoo You. That's a pretty good list. I'm, I'm with you on most of that. I would go uh, Exile, Sticky Fingers, Let It Bleed, Beggar's Banquet, and then I probably would throw uh, Goat's Head Soup right at the end there. It's not bad. And do, do you – because sometimes – this isn't the case for me. Like sometimes a favorite tune of mine won't necessarily be on a on a top album of mine. Do you have any like particular tunes that are favorites that don't necessarily coincide with your your list there? I mean, I like uh, Stray Cat Blues. Let's see. Obviously, Let It Bleed, Midnight Rambler. I tell you a song that I really like that I know people are going to make fun of me, but it's the opening track on um, Steel Wheels. Sad, sad, sad. That is a great tune. And I think they used to open their shows with that on that Steel Wheels tour. Uh, a latter day song off of uh, Steel Wheels that I like is Almost Here You Sigh. I think that's a great ballad. That is a good one. Obviously, Love is Strong. There's another one on, on Voodoo Lounge that I really like. It's an up tempo song, and I'm drawing a blank. I Go Wild. Yes. That is a good tune and highly overlooked. Yeah, but I mean, but as far as like the classic, I like Sway is one of my favorite songs. Moonlight Mile. I love Let It Loose. I loved it when Magpie did that. Gosh, Coming Down Again, 100 Years Ago, Winter. Come on now. Mm, Winter's fantastic. Well, I love it when Rich plays that. Um, We forgetting about Waiting on a Friend. That's such a cool song. Waiting on a Friend is definitely one of the best written tunes i've ever heard it's uh, for a uh for a, you know a laid-back slow tune wasn't that video filmed at the same spot of the physical graffiti album i think you're correct on that yeah that's the video where the whole video is basically like mick and keith about to meet up and they meet up at the end right mm-hmm. so what are some of your favorite songs like that you know I, a lot of the ones you mentioned in terms of you mean in terms of being off of albums i don't necessarily love as much mm-hmm. um well like i mentioned before through and through uh, Love is Strong is a big uh, big favorite of mine. All those compilation tunes really are, are tops for me. Uh, tops, speaking of tops, <laughs> the song Tops off of Tattoo You, I love that. It's on a soundtrack, too. I can't remember what the film was. There was probably more than one, but it was a movie that I said, well, that's odd. 
that that's in that movie, and it kind of brought me back to it. Oh, I remember it was it was a, a movie called Adventureland that came out, uh, you know, about ten fifteen years ago. But uh, yeah, I mean, there's there's a lot. It's it's hard to go through their catalog and like remember all this stuff, you know. And you've never seen them? No, that's the one regret I have is I never have never seen them in concert. Did your dad just see them that one time? Uh, and then he saw them again. I want to say on the the Forty Licks tour, which was nice because he got to go with um, you know they made a big deal out of it. Him and my aunt, who uh, you know unfortunately is no longer with us, but uh, you know they they got a limousine and they went in and they did the whole thing. And you know I think he has a nice memory from that, which is good, you know. But um, just to touch back again on some of that some of the early early material because I know like my father got into the Stones hearing not fade away. Which obviously was a cover, but you know, they do a really nice cover of that. But that was like his introduction to the Stones. You know, he was he was in from the ground floor, which is which is really cool. But uh, I don't some of that that early material. Like what what touches you with that? Mother's Little Helper, Ruby Tuesday, it's all over now. I'm free. She's a rainbow. Um, now let me ask you something mm-hmm. about from that time period when that came out, because I've noticed a lot more recently there seems to be this reverence for the the satanic majesty's request album they're real oddball like where they kind of they kind of copped the sergeant pepper concept for the cover and you know they really went kind of psychedelic on it and it, it kind of was almost like a one-off for them but a lot of people seem i have I, I have a friend of mine very talented musician drummer you know has toured with a lot of bands and uh he points to that that's the only stones record he likes wow i guess I, the I, only yeah. two songs off the top of my head i can remember are She's a Rainbow, and then was it 2,000 Light Years from Home? Yes, which is, that is a very cool song. It has a very cool guitar, bass, like a subtle groove to mm-hmm. it, which is kind of cool. But the album is very disjointed to me. It's clearly I can, a ripoff. I could just never get into it. I, 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 it may be like their greatest record that I just can't connect with. It's but not. They, a lot of people like it, man, You know, and make a big deal about it. I mean, they re-released that on vinyl, like the mono version, and people went insane for that. To me, it was like it bridged the original Stones and then what they started doing, like 68 forward. Like that was, it was like a stopgap to me almost. Yeah, that's when it like, went from being what I call like the 60s AM radio Stones to the classic rock Stones. Yeah, it just was kind of, I don't think they knew what to do with themselves at the time. Other bands were kind of doing that trippy stuff and they kind of just went for it and quickly realized it wasn't for them. And they came back with one of the best songs that actually was never on an album, which was Jumpin' Jack Flash. You ever heard the story behind that? No. I, at least that not does It's it something to do to with mind. they were, st- one of them was spending, if I remember correctly, it was like spending a night out in the country on like an estate and saw somebody walk by the window at night and they were like, oh, got scared. And somebody said, no, that's Jack Flash. And apparently it's the guy that worked on the grounds. If I'm wrong on that, somebody will let me know. That's interesting. It's a, I always am interested like the origin of songs, you know. But that, that to me is is one of those if you were to ask me at any point like some of the greatest rock riffs that ever existed jumping jack flash is one of them loved it when the crows did it and added the woohoo in it yeah why don't well, you do that I, why don't you do that sound for us Ian? i can't it's too late in the evening that's a, a midday sound for me you know what i mean <laughs> but actually there the one that the crows do is um like the leon russell Mad Dogs and Englishmen kind of arrangement of it, which is very cool. But it doesn't focus on the riff as much. It's such a good song to end the, a show on. Do they do they use that as a closer? They have in the past, yeah. 
I think I think specifically on the Voodoo Lounge tour. I didn't realize that, but yeah, that would be a, a really excellent closer, without a doubt. Or it's, I a, great, thought, or it's uh, a great opener. Yeah, or it could be a nice little encore too. Mm-hmm. It's versatile. Yes, very much so. And um, another thing that I always th- feel is worth mentioning, um, you know, it did get a, a somewhat of a reissue not that long ago, but even just the original album, Stripped, which was like they're, they're kind of unplugged. I really enjoyed that. I liked hearing them do, you know, predominantly acoustic versions of things. And there were some real cool interpretations of some of their earlier material, like the spider and the fly and some real cool stuff on there. And of course, uh, their cover finally of like a Rolling Stone, Bob Dylan's tune, you know? Oh, it's great. And you had, uh, uh, sweet Virginia on there. Uh, the dead flowers on there. I think for me is the definitive version of dead flowers. That is a great version of that. Also, speaking of definitive versions of, of the, some songs, that is the best Street Fighting Man version I've ever heard. It, I, it, on the original record, it's the opening track. I mean, talk about a band with... I mean, I completely forgot about that song, and that's one of their biggest hits. Yeah, that's that's what, you know, goes back to what we were saying. It's like, you know, they have so much material, you forget about half of it. I mean, and they also, of course, influenced our favorite band, the Black Crows, in, in so many ways, and... You know, a lot of I, I give credit to the Black Crows because they, in a lot of ways, drew me back to certain Stones material that I wasn't necessarily familiar with when I was first getting into music. Because you know, you jump in and you, you know, all the the hits and all the the, the popular stuff. You know, for sure, Exile on Main Street. You know, we've said it before, but that has to be the the ultimate Stones album, whether they want to admit it or not. I mean, it has a little bit of everything on it, right? Well, you kind of said. At one point, and uh, I always remember this, it was kind of like their love letter to American music. Yeah, it's everything. Yeah. Soul, country, blues, rock. See, I listen when you talk. I know. I appreciate it, Ian. <laughs> that was a long time ago you said that, too. It was. It was. It's always stuck with me, you know? Well, it's one, it's of, the perfect... it's, it's one of the few smart things I've said on the podcast. Well, it's a perfect summation of that album, I'll give you that. And you've said a lot of smart things on the podcast. Don't be... I'm not going to sit here and then tell you all of them. <laughs> it, wouldn't because, take, you know, it wouldn't take you long. No, I don't. I, it's because I don't have that kind of time. You know what I mean? <laughs> uh, you're too kind. <laughs> well, this is cool, man. Just have a little chat about the Stones. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure, sure down the road, well, you know, we'll get a little deeper into specific albums or things like that. Because I, I, you know, I always love talking the Stones, as I know you do as well. I would love to do it. I know on um, Digital Kill the Radio Star, done Goat's Head Soup and Exile. Yeah, so I mean, you know, there's there's a wealth of other material we could focus in on, but I kind of just wanted to do this in uh, my father's honor and uh, wish him a happy birthday. Hope he has a great day, and uh, hope that he knows that uh, his introducing me to the Stones set me down the musical path that really has uh, formed the backbone of my entire life, and I uh, I owe him a lot for that. So uh, the least I could do was a episode of a podcast for him. You know what I mean? Very, very, you're a very good son. I try to be, because sometimes I'm not, so. <laughs> but um, I figured we both pick a pick a play-out tune on this one. Sway. You're going with Sway? Mm-hmm. And from the same record, I'm going to go Moonlight Mile. So here's two from the Sticky Fingers album. I appreciate you joining us. Hope you had a good time, and we'll see you on the next chats. Bye.